Rock's first decade was full of innovation and helped inspire a culture shift that focused on teenagers, their music, and their style. Rock came on so quickly and powerfully, it seemed like anyone could get up on stage and have a hit record by the end of the week. Tonight, I'll be talking about rock and roll's early days with my guests John Brown and Kevin Inge of the band Horsehead. We will discuss the personalities, the gear, and the changes made famous by rock and roll's first generation. I'm Mike Grubb. Welcome to the Music Scope. Before we get started with tonight's discussion, I want to introduce my two guests. John Brown and Kevin Inge have been playing music together for quite a while, most notably in their band Horsehead, who have six albums and 16 years under their belts. Their songs are guitar-driven, with sweet vocals and bluesy treatments, and they're best taken in on summer night drives with the windows all the way down. While their style makes nods to artists like Tom Petty and the Beatles, John and Kevin are dedicated students of rock's early styles and tones. After all, where would Petty and the Fab Four be without Elvis, Chuck Berry, or Buddy Holly? Join me now for a discussion with our guests, John Brown and Kevin Inge. Let's talk about the first generation of rock and roll and how it's influenced you guys as musicians. For me, it's the, you know, the basis of everything. It's yeah. probably the first thing any of us heard. Um, you know, With my dad being a preacher... Most modern radio was not okay to listen to. Sure. <laughs> but that stuff was okay. So that's what I listened to. That's what I gravitated towards because it was I was allowed, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, my first record was Buddy Holly, Peggy Sue, you know? That was the first thing I owned myself. Wow. It's the basis of it all, you know? Man. And okay. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> not me at all. I came at that stuff way later. I came at it like I think a lot of people come at it where it's it's more of an indirect thing at first. So you you find these artists maybe for us and in, in our age group, you find the artists in the seventies and eighties, and then if you get to be enough of a fan of that artist, then you find oh, where did they get that from? And that's how I found that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Backtracking, digging. Yeah. Digging back. Digging. Yeah. <laughs> Crate digging. <laughs> yeah. 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 Fortunately, there was a lot of oldies radio. Like, that's where I learned. I mean, I've yeah, learned same. all those songs. It was just the, you know, Heartbreak Hotel was going to be heard five times a day <laughs> right. if you turned on the oldie station. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I did not have that experience because my parents didn't like music from that time. <laughs> they only liked modern stuff and like stuff from the seventies and country you know, when I was a kid. So I did I, I just didn't get exposed to that stuff until way later. Uh, I would have thought your mom was an Elvis fan. Oh no! Oh no! My parents, my parents can't to this day can't stand Elvis Presley. They were completely like we, we were overexposed to it. And we got sick of him. Wow. And like, you're missing out. You're insane. That may be the first time I've ever heard that. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 and she'll hear this, and and then I'll have to talk to her about it. And that's okay. Love you, mom. 
<laughs> I'm gonna call him later. Um, so, so what would you say was the biggest impact that rock and roll had on popular music? Not not just rock and roll, but you know, music as a whole. What was rock and roll's impact? To me, kind of the first wave. All of them were brought up in church, and you know, there's the pomp and like the show to church, especially yeah. at that time. Right. Um, I think they were just conveying that to other people. This is how, this is church, you know, they were bringing all of that showiness and it also created that barrier between audience and performer because that's kind of how church is. There's yeah, the right. guy talking and there's the congregation. That's kind of what rock and roll did in music because before that it was seated and everybody was right up, you know, together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that was the biggest thing that they brought to it. I generally would agree with that. I I, I do think that a big thing, and, and I, I think that I'm coming at this from a musician standpoint, mm-hmm. more than just general public, but recording techniques. Yeah. And it's just so different from everything before. Yeah. The, and the advancement of recording techniques after it, after it became a thing, yeah. the advancement just skyrocketed off of the, I guess, the popularity of that genre of music. Yeah. And, and how much change happened in, like, that 10-year period is, is mind-blowing. Like all these happy accidents, like the distorted guitar. It, it yes. wasn't because it was designed that way. It right. was because, you know, Sam Phillips had this mic. Right. That everyone's trying to compete with and right. the guitar player's trying to be heard. Yeah. Yes. So he had that thing, a 15-watt amp blaring. <laughs> and, man, if you listen to the that opening riff of, like, Rocket 88. Oh, yeah. They were trying to play horn parts. It was these bands. Yeah. Yes. You know, I very much so. The advent of that created a atmosphere. It created a way to, for bands to tour. Yeah. You know, before that, there was these huge bands with huge horn sections and stuff. People would go to a theater and they would play four nights in a row at the theater. Well, you know, guys wanted to travel around the country and they wanted to be able to have a small band. The guitar player had to fill up all that space that yeah. the horns were filling. They might bring a saxophone player, but the guitar guy was going to play horn parts. That's you know that's where a lot of the chords we're still playing came from. The yeah. horn parts, you know. Yeah. Yes, very much so. Yeah. If you listen, listen to Peggy Sue. Yeah, that lead and that is a horn part. I mean, it's you're right. Yeah, you can imagine horns <laughs> playing that. You know, that's funny. It's funny to think about it like that, but it's absolutely <laughs> accurate. Yeah, I mean that's that goes and that goes further out than that first gen. Yeah, I mean, satisfaction. Yeah, right. Was a horn part. I know that's uh, not what uh, we're talking about, but but that's still that even that thing like. <laughs> Ten years later, yeah. guitar players still trying to make horn parts. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm still trying to make horn parts. It's 2022. I'm still trying to play horn parts. <laughs> Man, that, you know, it, but it, listen to the Stones version of, of Satisfaction. Right. And then you know Otis Redding did it. Yes. Right? And Otis That's Redding exactly what I was thinking about. Made the horn part right, just like you're saying. Yeah. So he's um, always said he wished they had done it that way. Yeah, I said Otis's version is the one that's the best. But then I wouldn't have seventeen thousand fuzz pedals. <laughs> <laughs> well, screw that. <laughs> it's just uh, five or six horns. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 
Presley. So Elvis, you know, this, I think this is the most controversial question I have. The, <laughs> Elvis, Elvis Presley, generally credited, you know, king of rock and roll. Is that accurate? And, and Let the consternation begin. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, uh, it just depends on the person. I think everybody has, you know, it's... It is one of those things you can either have to hold that close to your heart or not. Yeah. If I had to choose one, it would have to be Little Richard. Yeah. Like, is there anybody? Little Richard's chosen Little Richard for. <laughs> I think he was career. right. I mean, <laughs> the music would not have been brought to the masses. The reality is, is yeah. you know, young white kids that a lot of them, their parents wouldn't let them listen to black artists. Yeah. And it took a really good looking white kid to come and play the exact same songs that were already being released by black artists. Um, he did them really well. Yeah. And he, I think he gave him a lot of respect and, and, um, the musicianship is so great on that stuff. But when it comes down to it, showmanship, the voice, I'd have to go with Little Richard. <laughs> well, I just I, have to. Well, and, and, and Little Richard scared the shit out of everyone. <laughs> I mean, he was here's this guy wearing makeup, oh, hair oh, all yeah. oh yeah, you know, and he does like whoa, the screen, like man, absolutely. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Like from outer space and just yeah. It's yeah. funny that you say that. Listening, I was listening on the way over here. I was listening to one of the playlists, and Little Richard came on, and I was like. That sounds like it's from another planet. <laughs> I mean, in the context of everything right. else that was going on, yeah. it sounds like it's from a distant star. <laughs> I can't deny the voice and charisma of, of Elvis Presley. I can, we can talk till we're blue in the face about how conflicted I am over that person <laughs> and, and how that all came to be. I don't know that I think of anybody as the king of rock and roll. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's so my answer is I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> you know, I, when you look very back, diplomatic. When you look back, you know, it, it, I think what Elvis did. I think if you listen to like Big Mama Thornton's version of Hound Dog, right? Then you listen to Elvis's. Elvis made it. It's aggressive. It is like he has this, you know, Big Mama Thornton, it was still bluesy and it had a groove. Right. Elvis's was on top of the beat. It was just like. Very true. Very. Made it more pop. Yeah. More pop. Elvis had Sam Phillips too. I mean, that's true. That's very true. You compare the action, just the production, the sound of it. Mm -hmm. Those Sam Phillips recordings were incredible. What was the biggest game changer that rock and roll brought? to active musicians well it's funny we already touched on it but I I was thinking you know the guitars playing horn parts and mm -hmm. making the band smaller you know it's yeah. like hey we can travel around the country and that's when that road dog thing kind of was created you know yeah that's when all that popped up that everybody's still doing today that's the way you make it in this world you know yeah we share a brain. Uh, I, yeah, that, my whole thought on that whole question is that it pushed the guitar to the forefront of an entire yeah. genre of music and changed the way that everybody looked at the guitar. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and especially, man, 
I mean, you could you could make an argument that guys like Charlie Christian or T-Bone Walker had done it, but I think that, um, and, and not just Chuck Berry, but again, all the guitar players and all the bands, there's always a lead horn line lick going yeah. on. And man, it made a guitar lead instrument. It wasn't just yeah. some guy sitting in the back. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was the first know. era, maybe a little bit before it, but it's when it was made popular that guitar became a lead instrument. Technology was coming out like every year there was something mm-hmm. new. And it wasn't like, oh, a new guitar. It was like completely different. Yeah. Like a bass with frets. Yes. What? A, yeah. You know, oh my a, God. A solid yeah. body guitar that doesn't feedback when you yeah. turn it up. What? Like That was the era of crazy. innovation in musical instruments. I mean, you know, overdubbing. Maybe the last big era of musical instrument innovation. Well, yeah. I mean, all the guitar designs are based on. Right. Still, two guitars from the mid nineteen fifties. It's true. It's true. It's very true. Is there someone that you think deserves more credit than is typically given for for helping get rock off the ground? You know, everyone knows Elvis. Um, Who's know. Elvis? I'm that that I don't think you can give to anybody else but Elvis. I mean, there's yeah. no one before him. Maybe after him that brought rock and roll into every yeah. home with a young person. Well, and I think that the interesting thing about Elvis is, and it, and it's a little sacrilegious because we think about, we think about rock and roll's music and attitude, but like Elvis was, I think a lot of it was visual. Mm-hmm. I think getting him on the TV. Oh yes. oh yeah. And they saw this handsome young guy swinging his hips. Yeah. The sex appeal movie. Yeah, even still, after. now when you look at pictures of him in that era, it's like, okay, that's unnaturally good looking for a man. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good looking dude. <laughs> he was truly the Brad Pitt of his day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he, he just, there was no one that looked like him, right. you know? So, and you yeah. see with the conviction that he did, too, on top of it. Yeah. You know? Um, exactly. I, and he was picking amazing songs. <laughs> right. You know? He picked Hound Dog. Yeah. I mean, he's picking these great songs. Like, how did he have access to that in Tupelo, Mississippi? Like, how did he... You know, if you listen... uh, We went down to Sun a couple years ago, and they play you the first recording that he did as you're in there. And, um, well, first, it hits you. This is the place that that happened. (laughs) Um, That's that's a wild feeling. But second, you realize this isn't... Spectacular! It's it's not spectacular. No, it's just kind of like okay, I can see the guy was recording something for his mom. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley, Little Richard, Buddy Holly, Big <coughs> Bopper, Richie Valens, Jerry Lee Lewis, all exited rock and roll within the span of about a year, which is crazy to think about, considering that rock and roll had only been around for four years, right? Were there big consequences to that for the development of rock and roll? And if so, what were they? I don't think so. I think it all is is cyclical. Mm -hmm. So I think they were all starting to kind of age out of it anyway. Um, In fact, I think that was part of the reason Colonel Parker wanted Elvis to go into the military. It was like, okay, you're getting older. We need to change your look. Yeah. Um, but uh, I feel like it all 
you know, it, it would have been the same regardless because I feel like they some of those guys would have lost some of their relevance mm-hmm. as the new types of music started to happen, you know. Um, I'm sure when the Beatles played Ed Sullivan, that was when people suddenly went, Elvis isn't cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that well, we've seen that in modern times. Yeah, I think it's the same it's cyclical. It's, yeah. it's, it keeps happening. I think that was just another era where, unfortunately, you know, a few of the guys had sad endings, but they all would have kind of aged out of it at that point. They were closing in on 30. The teenagers start to lose interest once you cross that big yeah. 3-0. <laughs> well, you know, that, I, think, I think rock and roll at its heart is a, is a young person's music. Mm-hmm. And once you, I, I think we see it over and over again, whether it's, you know, you're talking late 60s, if you're talking about when, you know, punk and new wave shows up, if you're talking about whatever. I think that the driving force is always teenagers. And I think with any type of music. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. I think absolutely because those are the voices that are lifted up and that are noticed because the vast majority of the listening public is young people. Yeah. You know, and they're not looking to listen to 60 year olds. Most of them are. Yeah. There's niche artists, you know, um, I'm sure tons of teenagers bought C6 Steve records for, <laughs> A short time, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was a niche, sure. you know, right. he didn't sell a hundred thousand records. Sure. Yeah. So people are in their prime and their early twenties. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know? that's a good point. You look good. You sound good. And you come up with a fresh new idea. Yeah. You know, it's, you're open to new things where if you've been doing the same thing for 10 years, you know, you, you found your groove, you're doing right. it. What, what, why would it be any different? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. 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 It's part of the human condition, really. <laughs> uh, obviously, you guys both have a a huge spot in your heart for uh, Sam Phillips and Son. Um, Fame Fame Studios wouldn't exist without Sam either. Yeah, that's true. true. Yeah, he was a mentor I, to Rick Hall, mm-hmm. and uh, so many things. I mean, my <laughs> absolute favorite music. You know, probably sixty yeah. percent of it was recorded in Fame or Muscle Shoals sound. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> But uh, so so, what is it that makes those records so unique? Why why was Sun so different than than everyone else? I think Sam Phillips' ear for a song. I mean, there was a span of four years, five years that he didn't pick many bad ones. I mean, yeah. like everything he did was selling tons of records, and he was just this little old you know, garage turned into a studio. Yeah. There's no money when he started, you know, he just had a really great ear for songs. That guy found Howlin' Wolf. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Holy cow, to be the person that found Howlin' Wolf. I mean, that would be a no-brainer if you heard that voice come out of a human. <laughs> yeah. But I think it comes down to the songs. I think he just picked artists that had incredible songs. I think... It is. It, it's more to do with that. I think there's a secondary element there, and I think it's location. Mm. Um, just where they were situated, and the history that's in that area, that they would get the people. I mean, I know people came in from out of town, but yeah. but there was there's a contingent of folks 
that came in from very close by and that he would have that level of stuff to pick from in the first place. You know, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how much of it was hyper local, but still the, the fact that that whole area, that, oh, yeah. I, I mean, that Stax whole area. Stacks. Yeah, High Records is there. Yeah. I mean, it's just so American. Like that sound. whole area of the country. Well, and, but, but when he started, <clears throat> there wasn't a whole lot of recording studios in that part of the country. Right. You know, you either go to Chicago or New yes. York or Los Angeles or, you know, I don't even know if Nashville was that developed. I mean, they had the Grand Ole Opry, but... I, I think that I think Nashville in that area was still kind of like a. Uh, I think one probably, of those probably around the same time. I think Owen Bradley <laughs> probably started around the same time. Yeah. Yeah. You take a guy like Robert Johnson. You'd have to drive him. You either set up a portable thing in a hotel, or you drive him to you know some town hundreds of miles away. That's that's a really good point, Kevin. I just I, I, and I don't think about that very much how much incredible music came from that area. I don't, I didn't think about it as much until we went down there. Yeah. Uh, Once you realize, well, the, the proximity of stacks (laughs) and, and, and that place together, the fact that any of that happened in, in, in the same 20 year span should speak volumes about that location and its history. Yeah. If you had to pick one song, so someone someone had never heard rock and roll before from that era, and uh, you want to get them an idea of what rock and roll is. What's what's the one song that defines that era? Man, that's tough. I, I find it easy. Really? Yeah, it's yours. This would be the first song I ever heard from that time, that place. It's Jailhouse Rock. It's just. Wow. That's a great song. It's, it's really it's, great. It's the thing. That one sounds incredible, too. And yeah. it sounds great. I mean, oh, Hound Dog is a close second for me. Hound Dog. Just comes, the way it sounds. That comes <laughs> yeah. to mind for me. Um, Tutti Fruity. Tutti Fruity. I mean, oh, my God. That's just hard rocking. <laughs> yeah. Swinging. The piano's playing straight. The drums are swinging. And it starts off with his voice. Yeah. Yeah. And then everybody just kind of he's letting everybody know here comes something, you know. Yes, Um, no mistake in it. (laughs) It would depend on the day. I don't know if I could pick one. Peggy Sue was another one that came to mind. It's like that one. Same reason. I think it's probably the first thing I heard from that era. Yeah, it sticks with me as like my introduction. So. Maybe I would introduce somebody the same way. Yeah. So m- maybe Peggy Sue. My boat would probably go to Johnny B. Good. No, oh, right on. That's uh, another good one too. It's a, it's this perfect little like again bounce. swinging drums, swinging drums with a straight guitar. guitar. Straight. <laughs> and it, it, yeah. it's just such a good push and pull. Oh man. Yeah. I know. I that make anyone want to play guitar. <laughs> but again, that's probably my guitar buying. Just so. <laughs> that whole rhythmic thing about that era, though the 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 swinging drums and the straight guitar together. <laughs> it's hard to get it's, right. It's, those guys were playing. It's freaking impossible. Yeah, right. those guys were playing six nights a week, four hours at a time. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. So they were going to get it. But yeah, it, it totally depends on the day. Yeah. yeah, it really does. Yeah, I'll wake up tomorrow and I will. The first thing when I open my eyes tomorrow, I know there will be a different song. I'll be like, 
dang it, I wish I had remembered. I was listening to Hellboy <laughs> uh, by Buddy Holly on the way here. It's just, all my love, all my kissing. Ah, uh, dang it. Great tune. It's a great tune. And I'm sitting there driving and bopping along in my truck on the way over, and I'm like, yeah. man, maybe that's it. So Incredible. So, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Well, appreciate you guys coming on the show. I'm yeah, honored that you would ask. So, it's a lot of fun. I want to thank my guests, John Brown and Kevin Inge of Horsehead. Check out their latest release, Pageant Wave, at horseheadmusic.com or on your favorite streaming service. Join us next month when our new series explores the world of electric guitar and how it became the symbol and dominant voice of rock. Thanks for listening to The Music Scope. I'm Mike Grubb.